Now, having read that, I would like for you to turn back to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. And while you turn there, I do want to say I'm so, so very thankful to be here with you. I'm so very thankful uh, to, to be here this morning worshiping the one true God. I like to welcome each of you out, especially our visitor, extend the, uh, that, that welcome. And uh, I'm so glad that it seems there's a relationship there that, uh, that I'm interested in knowing more about. We hope that we can all get a chance to meet you more. Uh, it, it's wonderful when, when we are all gathered together with the sole purpose to worship our God. It, just, it, it picks me up, even at a time like this where, where I am tired and I don't feel my best, I feel lifted up. I feel uh, built up and encouraged by being here with you. So thank you all for your attendance, for, for being here. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever read a story? Have you ever read a story from the Bible and stopped and kind of wondered, why, why is that in there? Why is this recorded? As we, as we just read in our scripture reading, all scripture is inspired. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is useful. But sometimes you ever read and went, really? Really, this passage? What? What's the purpose of this passage? Um, I know I certainly have done this. I know I've certainly read a passage and went, that, that doesn't make any sense to me why this was kept for us. You know, maybe it's the genealogies. You get into these long lists of genealogies of people and, and their sons and their grandsons, and it goes on and on, and we can't even pronounce most of the names, and we go, what was the purpose of recording all this for us? If you're in 2 Kings, I'd like to invite you to turn over to chapter 6. And chapter 6 is just one of these stories, a very trivial story that I, I had to question, why, oh why, was this story recorded uh, in, in the scriptures? And I think when we have those questions, when we are a little overly critical of a passage of scripture, it's, it's time for us to dig in. It's time for us to take that passage, to really look at it, and i got to tell you, I'm so very thankful that I did so on this occasion, because there was a lot in this passage that I, I was overlooking. There was a lot in this passage that I was guilty of of not paying attention to. The story here <coughs> is one of expansion. Excuse me. The story is one of expansion. It's in a time when, when these uh, people are wanting to become, to, they're going to come to God. They're wanting to be more like the prophets. We see a lot of growth in, in people desiring to learn more about how to be a man of God. And the story starts out with these people, the sons of prophets, wanting to do something about the cramped quarters they're in. They're wanting to do something about how overpopulation has caused them some grief. And so they go to Elisha, the man of God, and ask if they can go down to the Jordan River to cut some timbers, to cut some wood, to alleviate some of this overcrowdedness. So what we see here is they're going to build some, uh, some place for them to live and, and to try and, and just alleviate some of these problems. So Elisha says, okay, you know, you can do that. But they say, no, no, that's not enough. We want you to come with us. We want you to join us down by the river as we cut the, 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 the timber down. And he says, okay, I'll go with you. So now we have the sons of prophets, and they're now working down by the river. Uh, they're cutting down trees, and one of them has an accident. Um, no one gets hurt by this accident. No one is, is, is injured. No one is killed. But... The son of man, and I, or the son of the prophet, and I kind of imagine this in my mind was going on because I, um, maybe two times in my life I've cut down a tree with an axe, and I remember them because I hated it both times. It's really hard. It leaves your hands blistered. It wears you out. But both times you go into it with this zeal, like I'm going to cut this tree down with one swing. I, I'm going to get up there and. And I remember the axe I was using. It had two axe heads. I was like, this thing is going to be so heavy. I'm just going to lay into this tree and it's going to come down. That's not the case. 
And I imagine this young, pro, uh, young man was probably like that. He probably came in here with all the zeal and he was chopping away at that tree and really slinging that axe and, and hitting it hard. And he rears back to take a really big swing and the axe head pops off, flies off behind him, lands in the river uh, and, and sinks to the bottom. It's an iron axe head, it sinks. And the young man is distraught. He says in the, in the passage, it says, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. He's really saying, Oh, no. Oh, no. This, this wasn't mine. This didn't belong to me, and I've lost it. But Elisha comes over and says, Well, where did it go in it? And he says, The son of prophet tells him, and Elisha cuts a stick and throws it in the water, and the iron axe head floats to the surface. And he says, Retrieve, retrieve the axe head. i got to say, I really struggled with that story. I really struggled with that story because it never really seemed all that important to me. I recognize a miracle was done, but, but when I stop and I think about this story, sometimes I forget how special the words are in this story and all the many others. What we have in the Bible, the words that we have recorded us are extremely special because they are the words that God has chosen, God has picked out to share with us. So when I read a verse like John 20 and verse 30, and truly, uh, excuse me, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. I read that and I can't help but ask the question, why did you record this back in 2 Kings and not record more of what Jesus did in the New Testament? Why was this chosen to be recorded and not something else chosen? Because the fact is I love to read about the miracles. I love to read them. We, we look at things like the Red Sea crossing. That blows my mind. I, would, I love studying that. I love, reading, I love watching movies about that. I, just, I mean, everything about that exact action was so interesting to me. Uh, you know, the idea of, of millions of gallons of waters being, being separated and, and the ch children of Israel passing through and uh, the Egyptians chasing after them and the water crushing down. That just really is interesting to me. That blows my mind. Or what about Jesus when he fed the multitudes? At one time he feeds 4,000, another time he feeds 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a couple pieces of fish. This blows my mind again. And the fact that so much was left over afterwards. Or maybe you go, maybe you even can go outside of, of the church and people would know this miracle. What about when Jesus walked on the water? A lot of people know about that story. That's not very obscure. That's really, really popular. People love to talk about that. Or as we've talked about so much this morning, what about when he was resurrected from the dead? When God resurrected Jesus? These things are amazing. These things are huge, and they're done in public, and they saved lives. And maybe that's why they have such a, a hold in my mind, because they have the flash. They have the excitement that, in my mind, should go with a miracle. A miracle has to have that. But an unnamed son of an unnamed prophet loses his axe head. Elisha cuts a stick, throws it in the water, and it just merely floats to the surface, and he gets it. I have to ask this question, why is this recorded? Well, I hope, I hope that I've done enough to kind of pique your interest in this, because the point is, there is a very real reason this, story, this was recorded for us. There was a very good reason this was recorded, and i got to say, I'm, I'm ashamed that, that I didn't see this the first time I read this passage. I'm ashamed that it took me... Uh, several times and, and, and a lot of study to, to come to this conclusion because it's blaringly obvious. But let's read the passage in its entirety. It's seven little tiny verses, 
that say, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off the stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. These seven little verses, these seven little verses teach us something. They teach us something that we must learn from this story. And the thing that we learn is the same God who parted the Red Sea and the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, the God that created the universe and all that is in it, the God that understands and knows the workings of a human being, His own creation, even down to the tiniest molecule of our being and their operations. That is the God of sunken axe heads. And he cared for a nameless son of a nameless prophet as he stood by himself staring at the border of the Jordan River. He cared enough for him. To us, he's nobody. We don't even know his name. But to God, he was somebody. To God, he was important. And to God, his problem was important. Important enough that God intervened. That God stepped into His creation, that He stopped the natural laws that He had put on place since the beginning of time, and He caused an iron axe head to float out of the river. There are several lessons that we can learn from this story. But the one I want to focus on this morning is this. The God of sunken axe heads, He cares for us. You see, we don't have the name of this prophet recorded but God knows it. And as I said, his problem does seem insignificant to us, but it wasn't to this young man, and God understood that. And we might do better to understand the the problem that he had before him. Uh, Let me suggest that that this loss of a borrowed axe head was not insignificant in any sort of way. Uh, The fact is the axe head was borrowed. This suggests that this young man, he was poor. He didn't have enough money to go and buy an axe for this work. He had to go and he had to ask someone if he could use their axe. In fact, the prophets were typically not known for having a great deal of money. They weren't known for their wealth. And now he's lost the axe head. So now he is responsible to repay that which he couldn't afford to even buy in the first place. He's in a bit of a pickle. But we might be tempted to think, well, so he'll just have to work it off. You know, we, we see that. Maybe, maybe when we were a kid, you broke somebody's window, and they, well, I can't afford to fix it, but I'll come and I'll mow your yard until I've earned enough money to pay to fix this. He'll just have to work this off. That's not really a big deal. But oftentimes, in these days, working something off meant you were sold into slavery. Turn over just real quick to Amos chapter 2. <clears throat> Amos chapter 2, a, a book that we probably don't spend near enough time in. But in Amos chapter 2 and in verse 6 gives us an idea of what was going on in, in Israel at this time. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. You owe somebody a pair of sandals and you can be sold into slavery. How much more so an axe head 
This is iron. This isn't something that's typically the easiest thing to get uh, your hands on. This isn't something they just went to the local Lowe's and, and picked up a new axe. This was something that a lot of time and a lot of effort went into making. This is something that was costly. And this is what he was facing. He was not just facing uh, being out some money or, or being out a day's worth of wages. He was not just facing that. He was facing the, the fact that he was probably going to be out of his training to be a prophet. He was probably going to be out of his freedom. He was going to be sold into slavery. This was certainly a very big issue with this young man. And God's intervention teaches us, among other things, that God does care and he does know our problems. We see that here in this passage. But I want to suggest to you that we also see that in other passages. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and in verse, uh, in verse 25. What we see here is Jesus. Jesus cares. And Jesus did many things to show us that he cares. You know, we think about Jesus. Jesus often taught. He is responsible for so much teaching. It says so much that wasn't even recorded for us. He taught, and he taught to very large crowds, many, many, many people coming to hear him teach. But this same Jesus that taught the large crowds also taught Nicodemus in private, alone, an individual. I'm also tempted to think of the multitudes that Jesus fed, as we talked about the, the, the miracle of feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. But as we studied not too long ago in our class, he also fed the few. I'm reminded of, of Peter, the broken-hearted disciple that Jesus fixed breakfast for. I'm reminded of the prayers in the Old Testament. Sometimes we see the whole nation of Israel offering up prayers to, to the Lord, but at other times we see a single man in the belly of a fish, in the depths of the sea, offering up prayers. Those single prayers by single people, like Jonah, they were heard. But what about Hannah? In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says that she prayed, thinking nobody else was listening, and she prayed and she mixed her tears with her prayers. She prayed in sorrow. He heard those prayers too. The individuals. Likewise, we might remember and uh, remind ourselves of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, that wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree away from Jesus, hoping that he might just catch a glimpse of the Lord as he passed by. We might be tempted to think that this man is insignificant. He's not even near Jesus. He's away from him. And, and, and technically, he's going further away from him, trying to get a glimpse from him. He's climbing up a tree. Instead of trying to get closer to him, he's just trying to get a better, a better vantage point. This man to us seems insignificant, but not to Jesus. Jesus stops everything. He says, take a moment to tell Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today. See, to Jesus, he was somebody. These people possibly were thinking things like, no one knows my problems. No one knows where I am. No one cares. And it was at these times the Bible records that God is there. God is there and he does know their problems and he certainly cared for them. The world might not know your name. The world might not see your struggles might not know your pains. The world might not even care that you're pushed to the edge, that you're facing hard decisions, that you feel weak, you feel alone. But know that God does. God knows this and God cares. And that makes me think how magnificent is the God that we serve. I'm grateful to know that the God we serve cared for a single man on the border of the Jordan River. 
cared for someone who accidentally lost an axe head. And that's what brings us to Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. And I have even put these passages on the board for you. Matthew 6 and verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat or what will, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what will you eat or what will you drink, nor about your body, what will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for after all these things the Gentiles seek? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God, as it says here, God takes care of the small things. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. And it doesn't take too much searching to realize that he does a pretty good job at that when we look outside. How much more are we worth to him than the birds and the flowers? God knows us and cares for us. Enough so that it says he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Enough so that that we, and in doing so, we need to know that God would go to such lengths for us that He certainly cares for us. We are never alone in our problems. We are never alone with the pain that goes with loss. We're never alone with the pain that comes with sickness in this physical body. God is with us. And it is just such a God that invites us to trust in Him. This God invites us to obey in Him and to live our lives in such a way that reflects our lives in Him. But I want to be careful this morning because I don't like to give stories feet and allow them just to get up and walk wherever I desire for them to go. I want to be careful in doing this, but I do see some very interesting things in closing here that I want to point out about this passage. We see the axe head. The axe head was lost was buried down in in the darkness, in the mud, in the gunk of the Jordan River. But by the power of God, it was brought up. By the power of God, it emerges from the water and was found. Notice then that the the water was the means by which the axe was saved, but not until the piece of wood was thrown in. What we see here in this passage is, is we get this image of salvation. Salvation brought on only by baptism in water. Water which gets its power through the sacrifice that Christ made as He hung on that tree. I think it's important for us to look at that, remembering that, and letting that bring to mind what we know in the New Testament and then to ask ourselves this question. Are we a sunken axe head? Is He our God? If you have not become a Christian this morning, if you have not been forgiven for your sins, you might, uh, excuse me, if you've not become a Christian, if you've not been forgiven your sins and been brought into fellowship with God, then you need to hear the teachings and the promises that are in the Bible. 
you need to know that there is hope. There is forgiveness for those that come to Jesus Christ as Lord. And the point at which that forgiveness is received is when you obey the Lord in baptism. When you obey His Word and are baptized into His death. I encourage you this morning, if there is something that we can do to help you in any way, won't you please come forward now as we stand and sing.